Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Deucebur. Welcome to the Pilot House. The podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. So Strangely, what do you know about the Adams family? Uh, I believe their house is a museum. Yeah, you know, I've heard that when people come to see them, it really is. A scream? Now, I don't know what a scream is, but I have it on very good authority that their house is that. <laughs> I was going to do that, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start and see if Strangely does the same thing. Of all the Nick at Night shows, this is definitely the one that has the deepest familiarity for me looking back. Yeah. This is the one that I really connected with, I really loved during that Nick at Night block. So much cultural commentary has been made of how the Adams Family was kind of this reversal indictment of 50s and 60s sort of nuclear family culture. Mm -hmm. But even my relatively conservative childhood in the 90s, I felt like the Adams Family was was upending it. Like there's still just there's something about Gomez and Morticia being like into each other, being visibly in love. Yeah. You know, all well, certainly the the sitcom where the put upon husband is nagged by his wife or, you know, talks crap about his wife or whatever, like, did not stop in the 90s. Right, and I think that's one of the reasons that of all of the sort of 50s, 60s television shows that got made into movies in the 90s and early aughts, this one was one of the best when it translated over because a lot of the thematic things and things that made this fun are perennial Mm -hmm. in a way that, like, Something like I Dream of Genie, where it's like this guy is like a class climbing conscious, you know, he's like trying to like forward his career and she throws things into out of whack like that. It, stuff like that changes and what people value and even what sort of ideas of like career propriety are change over time. But like home life and family dynamics, I think, are more perennial. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's why I remember this so much is because it was st- it was speaking to my existence as well in ways that some of the other shows uh, like I Love Lucy didn't as much when yeah. I was a kid. Uh, there's a family. There's Gomez and Morticia. There's uh, there's cousin It who's all hairy. Uh, th- there's like a Frankenstein monster called Lurch, right? Isn't that I don't his believe name? he's. Strictly a, str- a Frankenstein, but he's but, in that in that mold. Yeah, he's got like the bolts on his neck, and does he? I think he does. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I was really excited. You were setting me up for a perfect transition, and then you started describing the family before I could cut in with. It's interesting you say that, strangely, because I actually have very little memory of this show. Uh, all the things I know about the Adams family are more from the films. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amazing. 1990s live action films, which are very beloved to me. I genuinely don't remember ever watching this as a kid. And it's hard to know how much of what I know about it now I knew about it then. Like, I think I was aware that it existed. I think I knew when the movie came out that it had been a TV show. I might have even known that John Astin was on it because he's also on... Batman, which I also knew him from that. And I feel like when he showed up as the Riddler, I was like, what's Gomez Adams doing here? You know, where's Frank Gorshin? This guy is not right for this part. Love John Astin. Still don't think he was right for that part. But I 
yeah, I, all the things I know about the Adams family and the structure and who they are and what they look like, I, I think is pretty much from the movies. So I might be picturing the Lurch from the movies and maybe he looked different on the show and I just don't even know. Yeah. Well, th- again, that's like the thing is like a lot of these translations to the big screen, things were really changed or dynamics were different. And like a lot of the Adams family just ported right over. Uh, it, it, the, my memory of it is that it's, it's very close. They're very close. You know, there's a lot of updated stuff, but at the same time, like even like character designs and everything, just, they really work. They're very iconic. They're very visual. Uh, and they really work, you know, um, Wednesday and Bugsley, Bugsley, Pugsley. Pugsley. Uh, clearly of the two kids, one of them left a strong impression on me and the other did not. I feel like one of them has become more of a, uh, a phenomenon. Like there mm-hmm. was that, that, there's a new series that I, that they're coming out with like yeah. in a year or two. That's, I think it's more about her like going to boarding school or something rather than being about the family anyway i feel like she's become more of a cultural uh recognizable thing than than pugsley but and i think it's again it's that reversal of like sort of a traditional well-behaved daughter you know Mm -hmm. she's like doing things that are violent but she's it's not just that she's being violent with pugsley she's also she's experimenting she's a scientist she's adventurous you know it's the things Uh that i think for for young people watching her i mean i remember as a kid like i thought she was the shit like you know there's things that you watch as a kid and you're like oh i want to i want to hang out with that character or i want to be that character mm-hmm. you know pippi longstocking or mrs piggle wiggle like awesome characters and wednesday is definitely like looms large uh which now that i think about it is probably the uh the origin of my deep and abiding love for Christina Ricci. Because yeah. it was like, oh, she so was Wednesday good. in the, in so, the films. Yeah, she's so good. Oh, I love her. I'm looking forward to finding out what is different about the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it's not like I know nothing about it. But I'm, I'm curious to see how much of it will be like, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, I've seen stills. I know vaguely what all the actors look like on the show. Um, I know that... I know that apparently the the set of their house was like very brightly colored, which is weird because it's in black and white in the mm-hmm. show, right? It's like there's color pictures, extant color pictures of it that are like it's like pink and yellow and green and bright colors and everything. Yeah. But um I do want to address something about that in the family, which is that a lot of people think that either the Adams family copied the monsters or vice versa. And I think a lot of people think it was the monsters that copied the Adams Family because the Adams Family came from this cartoon series. Of Yeah, like New Yorker cartoons. Yeah, yeah. But two pieces, important pieces of information. One, I don't remember the exact details, so you'll have to, like, do your own research on this. Uh, this is not a research podcast. We do not cite our sources. But I have heard in recent years that Adams Family and the Munsters came out around the same time. Like, they were already both in production, when they found out about the other. It's a ants and a bug's life situation. It's a uh, deep impact and Armageddon situation where something was in the zeitgeist. Because the Munsters was more envisioned as a, what if all of the uh, universal monsters were a family? Wouldn't that mm-hmm. be funny? Um, and whereas the Adams family was vaguely, only vaguely, 
and loosely based on the cartoons. What's interesting about it is that in the cartoons, they were single panel New Yorker type cartoons. They were just funny scenarios. They didn't have storylines. And it wasn't about a family exactly. Mm -hmm. Like apparently the first comic in which the, a Morticia like character appears, her husband is like a wolfman type guy. Yeah. So a lot of the, the, the structure of the Adams family came from the show not from the cartoons. And they weren't called the Adams Family. Their characters were not named Morticia and Gomez Adams and stuff like that. They were just a lot of weird characters. Very The premise of they do normal family stuff, but they're monsters and, and weirdos. That that comes from the cartoons. But like so much of the structure of what is the Adams Family actually comes from this show. Yeah. Uh, just a, just a quick fun fact. Uh, there are often projects that exist in the zeitgeist together, yeah. but the specific example of ants in a bug's life is not one of them. Oh, really? Ants was produced by like an angry, jilted former Disney producer who like rushed it out to have a competing bug movie as no. a fuck you really? to Disney. Yeah. I've always heard that given as an example of like coincidence because Deep Impact and Armageddon, that one's proven that I think. That it, like, they could not have had foreknowledge yeah. of each other. Yeah, yeah, Like, because they were, like, in in pre-production at the same time. Well, it's, it's like, there was a there was a National Geographic story on yes. Hadrian's wall. Yeah. And then, like, a bunch of fantasy things came out with, like, a wall. And on one side, north is magic. And yeah. on the south of it is not. So there's, like, Garth Nix's uh, Old Kingdom trilogy and uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think there was, like, a... Two years before e e the Deep Impact in Armageddon came out, mm -hmm. or three years, there was some prominent uh, National Geographic spread about could a giant could asteroid, a giant asteroid, asteroid destroy the Earth, and it was like it was perfectly timed for that's about the right amount of time for someone mm -hmm. to write a screenplay and get it you know get it seen and everything. Mm -hmm. It's definitely happened before, more than just those movies, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm sad to know that Ants and a Bug's Life are, <laughs> is not not an example. Because yeah. certainly people do that. They hear about a big studio doing a thing, and then they go, can we rush out something similar to yeah. compete? To piggyback off of their... Right. Let's, let's compete, more <laughs> piggyback off of the, the popularity. That's the entire business model of Asylum Studios. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute. If you're not familiar with Asylum Studios, it, it's a very... Like, it's it's... And you can't even call them B-movies. It is an insult to B-movies everywhere. Asylum movies are like Z-movies. They are so half-assed. They are entirely designed so that when you are looking well, now online or in the past in a video store and you'd heard about some movie with a specific title or with a specific theme and then you saw something that looked similar, you went, oh, I bet this is that movie I heard about and you would rent it. And then when you watched it, there would be a movie there. Whether it had any similarity to the thing you thought it was going to be, it does not matter. Oh my god. The worst movie I have ever seen in my life, and that is including everything I've seen through MSG3K, was an asylum picture. It was not even fun to watch. Well, speaking of things that are fun to watch, yeah. shall we actually go watch The Addams Family? Let's do. Do-do-do-do. Thorns are so much larger this fall. <laughs> Lovely, Morticia. You have such a way with roses. Thank you, Gomez. Did I just hear a peal of thunder? You did, Tish, you did. Oh, that 
the most heavenly sound. It makes life worth living. You remember our honeymoon, Gomez? Who could forget our first night in Death Valley? There was a stillness in the air. Tish. The moon was full. And that lovely, soft fluttering of bat wings. <laughs> and that divine cave. You're so romantic, Tish. I think they're waiting for us, Gomez. The music is so lovely. I was genuinely surprised how much of the classic Adams Family stuff was in that first episode, like mm -hmm. right from the beginning. No, this is this is a prime example of a show that knew exactly what it wanted to be yeah. right away. Well, I wonder how much of it was like recreating imagery from the comics, and how much of it was just like, this is some stuff that these people are gonna do, mm -hmm. like Morticia cutting the heads off of roses. Uh, Uncle Fester with the light bulb in his mouth, like right from the get go. Yes, those are the two main things. But like also just the other elements of like Morticia and Gomez being so affectionate with each other. I really didn't know how that was gonna look on in the TV show. Like I've seen it in a movie from the nineties, but like what is it gonna look like in a TV show from do we look up what year this came out? No, I wanna say sixties. But it was black and white. Early sixties. Yeah, so early, certainly. Well, yeah, that, that's the fascinating thing is that there's stuff that they can get away with in the show because the ostensible premise is yeah. that these people are backwards and and just everything is is revert. It's opposite day with these people all the yeah. time. Yeah. So a uh, husband and wife being all over each other and super lovey is yeah. like, well, it, clearly it's not well, the old ball and chain. You yeah, know, like, yeah. It's the, uh, it's the inversion. And yeah. Yet, but still, like them being very fond of each other and like looking in each other's eyes, I expected that. But like. Him kissing her wrist and then mm -hmm. like kissing all over her shoulders. I was like, oh, all right, they went for it, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as sexual as Raul Julia and Angelica Houston in the film, right? Nothing could be that sexy, but <laughs> like it, it, they they went for it, yeah. Like certainly, the another thing I've heard so many people talk about the 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 their relationship being the kind of backwards from the norm thing, where they're mm -hmm. like so visibly not only in love but like physically affectionate with each other gomez being like the one who's worried about the children so the, the the premise of the episode is that the the school board's like your children have to go to school they're six and eight years old why aren't they in school yet and then they go to school and they're like we don't like the school whatever like it's the plot is not really important but the gomez is the one who's like we can't send the kids to school. What's the point of having kids if you just to get rid of them? Like he mm. wants the kids around, and then he's like, well, I, "I'll miss them." And then eventually, you know, Marcus is like, "No, I think we should send them to the school." And when they go to the school, he's the one who's like checking the time and saying, "It's already three o'clock. Are they keep them there all night?" Like yeah. he is really worried. He's pacing back and forth, and Marcus is like, "Gomez, calm the fuck down." Like, but that, that was another element I did not know about. Yeah, and I think you know. Going a little bit back to what you're saying about how surprising it is that it, they have such a strong, there's such a strong vision for this show right at, right off the bat. Yeah. I think a lot of that does come from the fact that the comics were a thing for years and years. Like the, that, um, I can't, George Adams? What was that? Charles. Charles Adams' comics had been around for a while. And even though some of the earlier ones, like you mentioned, like, you know, Tish is, the Tish type character is originally with a werewolf. I think over time... 
they sort of started to circle in on a more specific yeah. vibe. I think that I've seen at least one where the Morticia Tech character uh, introduces her husband and it's basically Lurch. Yeah. They just hadn't figured, you know, so it's like that he came from the comic, but they just, you know, then figured it all out yet. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's probably why it adapted so well into television is that there wasn't, I think a, a really strongly established, you know, specific continuity or canon. Sure, yeah. But there was a very strong vibe. Yeah. And I think with the <laughs> and lots of gags. Yeah, and with when you translate it into a TV show, having the vibe really established right out the gate, it almost provides uh, guidance for how the characters will develop. Mm-hmm. Because if you need to set up a certain situation, you need a certain type of person. You know, you, you just. There's a lot of things that sort of flow out of each other. And this show is just like it all kind of like one thing leads to another in a way that feels so much more organic for a show from this era than you're used to seeing. You know, usually there's a lot of like uh, long setups or expo log or things like that. And in this, like a lot of stuff just gets revealed through action and conversation as opposed to, you know, specifically like backstory mm-hmm. it just all comes out of action and so it feels very uh yeah i, I use the word organic already but it feels very organic which i yeah. think is why it's so endearing right off the bat yeah before we uh talk more about this episode we need to address what we were right about and what we were wrong about oh gosh yeah i, just I was, launched right into it <laughs> it's all right usually it's me that launches right into it so yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad we're uh, we're trading off on that role i was wrong about lurch <laughs> yeah, he's not a Frankenstein. He's he's not. Herman Munster is a definite Frankenstein. Yeah. He has bolts. His skin is green when the episodes are in color. Like, he is Frankenstein. Frankenstein guy. Uh, but yeah, Lurch is just sort of a very large, strange man. Yeah, like, po- possibly some kind of something vaguely supernatural-ish. Because, like, his voice is definitely... Like, there's something weird going on with the voice. And... Oh, yeah. He barely speaks. Yeah. He speaks in very short things, like... Me. But it's mostly this, yeah, this crazy deep voice, which I believe that is actually Ted Cassidy's voice. I could be wrong. I think that they, like, they not only found a guy who had, like, a spooky deep voice, he's also very tall and sort of strange looking. Yeah. So they really knocked it out of the park <laughs> with finding that guy. Like, I don't know that... I, I mean, maybe they wouldn't have... I, I kind of was watching it going, like... I could see them doing this, like, we found this tall guy, but he has this very normal-sounding voice. So, let's have him not talk very much, but when he does, we'll dub in someone else's voice that's, like, super deep and, like, uh... Mm-hmm. Oh, what's that guy that has the super deep voice and can also do the high falsetto? Oh, Candy Condito. Yeah, like a, like a Candy Condito kind of, like, reverberating deep bass voice. But... This is like, oh, his his voice is amazing. I think it's like, it's really, it's not just, holy crap, that's a deep voice. It's like, it's got a texture to it. Yeah, they, they really, uh, they really lucked out finding that guy, honestly. Uh, I think there's like, um, I think there was like a, a, a novelty single that was like, released when the show was popular. It was like, you know, a, a, just a cliche 60s pop song. It was probably recorded by the same band that, like, was the Archies or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. And they're like, do the lurch! And it's like, just Ted Cassidy occasionally says, do the lurch or whatever, right? But, like, meanwhile, it's just like a cute little pop song. I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. But 
yeah, they, he's he's got a great voice. But getting back into what we were right and wrong about, is there anything else? Not for me. This was exactly as I was remembering it to yeah. be, apart from the design elements of Lurch, which, yeah. I mean, if you just see, like, photographs of him, like, he's clearly made up, like, in sort of a corpsey, zombie-ish style. So yeah, yeah. It's not, like, totally out of left field that I would be thinking that. No, and there no, is no, even a sure. Frankenstein name drop about him someone's like he would have scared frankenstein so yeah like, yeah i i vaguely i'm remembering that like there's they, they kind of do gesture in that direction from That's time the to time vibe they were going yeah. for like how morticia has a sort of a sorceress slash vampire vibe yeah. but she is not a vampire the way that lily from the monsters is a vampire yeah but yeah, I think that the rest of it was just impressions I had that I didn't say out loud that turned out to be wrong, which is so frequent. Things I don't even think to say in the What We Know segment. Like, I I did not know that Fester had such a goofy-ass voice, <laughs> for one thing. I don't know that I've ever heard that guy's voice. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, to me, Fester is Christopher Lloyd. Mm -hmm. But he's like, I don't really goofy kind of cartoon voice. Yeah. Cool. I never went to school, and look how I turned out. Uncle Fester, looks, charm, and personality aren't everything. Maybe they went for that to be, like, kind of a contrast. But, like, what is his appearance? Like, he's just weird. A lot of the characters in the show are just weird, as opposed to the monsters, where everyone is kind of like, Herman is a Frankenstein, mm -hmm. and the little kid is like a wolf boy, and the grandfather is a vampire. It's right. like... Everybody in this show is just, they just went with weird. Yeah, you know, he's hes kind of got like sort of a medieval torturer vibe, you know, kind of like a yeah, monk robe kind of vibe. With like a fur collar. Yeah. It's, yeah, and, and then the, yeah, the pale skin, the bald head, all of that. But like, then he's like, well, I never went to school and I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that voice coming out of this look? I mean, presumably, again, they were going for weird even more than spooky. Yeah. Like, weird was the the brief. Yeah. Which, I mean, w this whole show, weird <laughs> was the brief. Yeah. I Wednesday was a surprise for me because she's so teeny-weeny. Yeah, she's a lot younger than they depicted her in the films. Like, they went yeah. older with both of the kids. Which is... She's six years old. They say they're six and yeah. eight, and I'm pretty sure Pugsley's supposed to be older you know that's interesting i think of them as being the same age in the movie mm -hmm. or wednesday older if there is an age difference and a year or two older yeah but in this it's very clear that pugsley is older mm -hmm. what I, I think that there is sort of a there's an element of i again as the show goes on that they're kind of doing this like there's there's uh status status reversal so mm -hmm. even though pugsley is older and you know bigger and everything wednesday is the higher status of the two siblings that's true yeah and there's there's often a vibe of like she tells pugsley what to do yeah that's a that is a good point the reversal also he's doing things for her all the time yeah he comes in and says here i fixed your doll now it doesn't have a head because yeah. it's marie antoinette or whatever right. and they heard hear some crazy noises later and morticia says oh pugsley's building a dollhouse it's like it's just a joke that there are such loud noises and she's not worried about it, I guess. Like, yeah. it's nothing specific. There's no second joke. It's just he's building her a dollhouse. Instead of them being, like, bickering and teasing each other mm -hmm. or the older brother, like, making fun of or hating his younger sister 
or thinking the the brother's annoying or whatever. Like they just seem to get along pretty well. Yeah, and it, that again, you know, it's those it's those reversals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, already teeny tiny Wednesday. It's like right from this first episode. There's a there's a vibe. Yeah. There's a mood. Uh, Wow, her crying was so weird. Can we address that for a second? Yeah. They go to school for the first time. They come home and she runs into the house making the strangest noises. It really sounded to me like they dubbed in the crying later. I think that's what happened. Yeah, they were like, they they could not figure out like how to make this girl make crying noises. (laughs) It's very strange. There's definitely some very odd child acting choices happening where it's just Always. like, you can tell a director is off camera being like, okay, now look grumpy. And yeah. and then it's like, oh, all right, that's the face the kid makes. Like, yeah. <laughs> when we first see the shot of the whole family staring at the camera for the in, intro song, yeah. you said that kid playing Pugsy looks like he's there under duress. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's... Like, doing a, like, I'm a weirdo face. He just looks like he's like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure is him trying to put on a weirdo face, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I for all we know, the direction he was given for that was, you don't want to be in the family photo. You, yeah, you I know, guess. Like, that's, they're going for kind of, like, surly preteen boy, like, doesn't want to, you know, like... They, sure, sure, yeah. It is fantastic how well this cast works together, though. I mean, d- weird child acting aside... Like, I'm so curious if they had, like, a lot of time to sort of play these characters. You know, if they they got to workshop this together for a while or something. Yeah. Because of, of the adult actors, the most awkward thing to me is that it feels like Gomez isn't quite there. Like, mm. sort of the, like, kind of Latin lover kind of vibe. Like, there's, oh, yeah. There's, there's flashes of it, but it's all there's also a lot of him in this first episode that feels like kind of like a... Groucho marks like he's yes. really going for Smoking a, a cigar and just being like wow what do you think about it you know yeah. it is i yeah that is a very good point like there's there's a lot of quips of like you know some like wordplay like deliberate wordplay misunderstanding type groucho type stuff yeah uh and i mean if you look at the visual of the character it makes sense that somebody particularly in the early 60s is drawing that comparison. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, chomping a cigar, you got your mustache. Yeah, and he's just like, he's doing all the face acting and yeah. it's wonderful. And he, he's clearly having a good time, but sort of my overall impression of Gomez isn't quite there in the way that Morticia arrives fully formed. Yes. As like, the just kind of like, like very breathy, oh, kind of like, Oh, my beautiful hemlock. Why are you wilting? Oh, are you not getting enough moonlight? Like, she's just Mm -hmm. this sort of wavy, sort of flowy, like, calm, but uh, sort of, like, you know, strange. Yeah, her whole thing seems pretty locked in already. Mm -hmm. She gets, I think, um, it's interesting that they went with Angelica Houston in the movie. Because she has such a much more dramatic appearance. Whereas Carolyn Jones is cute as a friggin' button. Like, she has this very cute face Mm -hmm. surrounded by this straight black hair and this, like, long black gown with, like, frilly bits sort of waving off of it. Not frilly, but, like, you know, diaphanous scarves sort of flowing off of it. Um, Yeah, it's just interesting. I was... I I knew what Carolyn Jones looked like. I'd seen pictures, but 
just seeing her in in the role and thinking about Angelica Houston in the film. I'm like, very interesting. And Angelica Houston's way of playing the character in the film is like she really leads into that sort of like kind of calm sort of collectedness and the sort of like air that she uh-huh. has. Which, you know, that it's interesting looking at the show because I feel that so much of it translates directly and that the differences have more to do with the ways that the the film ensemble plays a little differently. Obviously, Christopher Lloyd is a much more forward character in the film. Yeah. And, whereas my memories of the show is that Fester is more a character who kind of pops in to say something weird or, you know, he's the one who will come through the, you know, everyone's hanging out in the living room and then Fester will come through the box and be like, I found a dis- disembodied head lying in the road. Who would just leave that lying around? And then he's yeah. like, I'm taking it upstairs. And like, yeah. that's his whole, opi- yeah. you know, yeah. there's a lot of that kind of vibe with him. Whereas in the film, you know, you've got Christopher freaking Lloyd. Like, yeah, yeah. Obviously. So he's doing more. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, that's actually another aspect of it I didn't think about in the, in the reversal of the traditional show thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the multi generational household yeah. with grandmama and just an uncle, and they actually don't address at least in the pilot uh, how he is related to the family. Mm-hmm. He could just be a family friend they call uncle. You know, he's yeah. just there, and that's honestly I I can't think of another show from that time period that even had a a grandparent living with them was not super common, but certainly not a, an uncle. And speaking of a grandparent living with them, there's no hint no whiff of there being any kind of tension with her presence either mm-hmm. so again it's not like oh my mother-in-law lives with us or yeah oh my husband's never been able to move out of his mummy's home you know it's just like the family dynamic is very loving yeah and, and they all kind of have their function right like mm-hmm. he says um uh, he when the, the this guy from the school board comes to try and convince him to take the kids put the kids in school um, he speaks to Gomez. Gomez says, oh, well, uh, you'll have to speak to... He does say my mother, right? Yeah. Is she his mother? No, I can't remember. I think she's actually supposed to be Martisha's mom. Well... Honestly, I'm totally blanking on who Grandmama's the mother of. But anyway, he says that she is in charge of educating the children. Mm-hmm. And she educates them in art and uh, history. She's teaching them about the French Revolution. Uh, she te- apparently has taught Wednesday how to breed thoroughbred spiders, which like, well, what a weird gag. He's trying to convince this guy from the school board, like, oh, the kids know lots of stuff. Yeah. Like here, he just picks up a box, a small box and says, look. And the guy goes, spiders. You do not see anything in the box. You yeah. can't even tell. Like, does it have a glass lid? It's a very small box. It's like smaller than a cigar box. I'm like, what kind of spiders are even in this box? Why are they just in a box on the table? What's going on? And he says, see, you know, yeah. what, how many kids do you know? But like, you do not see these spiders. They don't do a close-up shot of like a bunch of spiders crawling over for like the creepy factor. Mm-hmm. It's just, he just picks up a box. This box has spiders in it. Do not question it. And that's actually a great example of the amount of times this show doesn't show something and it will leave things up to your imagination in terms of True. like, you know, I know it's a running gag that, their weird noises come from the children and the mm. parents either already know what the kids are doing and just like, Oh, you know, like Pugsley's building a dollhouse. Yeah. Or they're like, Oh, good to, good to know the children are having fun or something. Yeah. It's like, I'm glad they're being active again. Yeah. yeah. And again, a reversal of like any child and their parent, you know, the kid makes a loud noise. The parents go running up there. Like what is going yeah, they're on? They're either like 
quit that racket or they're like, what the heck was that? And they're worried. That is a yeah. good point. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. And it's, the, you it's know, like they made a list of what are things that parents do on TV. And then they just systematically went through and tried to reverse all of them. Mom is the one who's worried about the kids. Okay, we'll make it dad. Yeah. The, the parents want to get the kids out of the house. They want the kids to stay at home, you know. And again, like instead of constructing sight gags a lot of the time, they're, you know, they didn't try to make spiders or even have an in insert shot of spiders. They're just like, they're spiders. And your imagination can fill in around that detail. And I, that is something that I remember with the show is that there's sort of these spaces where your own imagination can fill in what is the creepy thing what's in the box you know that kind of stuff they're not the ones of the dragon under the stairs right that's the monsters like the monsters of a pet dragon under yes. the stairs you never actually see occasionally like smoke or steam mm -hmm. comes out I, but you don't I actually see it think that's the monsters okay, yeah. yeah so are, are we ready for segments here or do you have more thoughts about sort of the overall structure of this before we get into anything else uh -huh. i want to address something about the theme song. I know that there is no particular reason to compare the Monsters and the Addams Family, right? Like they, they were each their own show. They were trying to do something a bit different. Okay. But I know a, I grew up at least feeling like people thought of the Monsters as a ripoff of the Addams Family and the Addams Family was better than the Monsters. I don't know if that is pervasive, but that's kind of what I always got growing up. But I think we can all agree unequivocally the Monsters had a better theme song. The Adam's Family theme song is iconic, but it's kind of dumb. <laughs> it's very silly. This the, is bad rhymes. I mean, scream! Come on now, guys. The the words not great. I I think the tune is, the I think the strength of the theme song and like its sort of lasting power has a lot more to do with that. The tune, and particularly the ba da da dum. Yeah. No oh no, that is that is iconic as hell. Yeah. And like all credit due to whoever wrote it for making something that iconic. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the lyrics and the fact that they're like, they feel felt like they had to tell you these people are weirdos. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Monsters theme song is instrumental. You know the theme song? You don't recognize that at all? Very vaguely. Wow. Yeah. To me, that is like super iconic and like just a, it's a kind of a, banger it kind of slaps it rips i i'm sure it does it does not in my memory of... yeah okay well i think it's a way better theme song uh clearly it's not as unequivocal as i thought it was well i think maybe later this season we'll have to do an entire episode talking about theme songs oh maybe we will we will <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert we will <laughs> well uh shall we move along to our first segment Let's do. Where did the money go? This segment is one where we discuss where we think they spent the bulk of the money on this first episode. Uh, often with a pilot, you know, they'll try to come out the gate with something really big, sort of land with a splash. Yeah. It's a little less so with something that was already picked up to series like this, where I think it's, it's pretty clear that a lot of the money is going toward these very, very particular put together interior sets oh yeah yeah all these sets you know i was actually really surprised that when they show the exterior of the house for the first time they don't show that far away shot that shows it's got like gables or whatever you know mm -hmm. it's very like kind of old-fashioned looking 
when you first see the house, it's got like a kind of spooky fence around it. Mm -hmm. And it's, the yard is just messy. I thought that was hilarious. That's how they made it spooky. There's just like piles of random yard waste lying around. But then when you walk up to the front porch, I'm like, it's cluttered and busy, but it kind of looks normal. Yeah. yeah, the the living room is quite a set. It's very large. It's full of set pieces. It's full of things that are f weird looking or a, a giant taxidermy tortoise with two heads. And a full-size taxidermy Excuse grizzly me. bear. Excuse me. A titanic taxidermy tortoise with two heads. Totally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the, the painting of a giraffe in a suit. <laughs> oh, man. I would love to know if, uh, that is a specific visual reference to a comic, or they painted it because they really thought it was a funny gag, or they found it and went, this will be weird. I, yeah, I, I'm sure that there has to be a lively account somewhere of the prop yeah. the prop masters for this show. Oh, yeah. Well, like, at least one of the things Mr. Hilliard the, from the school board, like, gawks at is just a statue of, like, a samurai or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not specially weird. It's just something you wouldn't expect to find in someone's house. But compared to a painting of a giraffe in a suit and a two-headed tortoise, that's, like, the last thing he sees in the room, and he does just as much... Face acting at it, like, oh, what's this? <laughs> like, I don't know, it's a freaking statue. I grant you it's weird, but it's less weird. But yeah, all of that stuff. Uh, and the the conservatory. Mm -hmm. That's actually true. They kind of take you all over the house. This Mr. Hilliard coming to visit, they almost use it as a conceit for him to meet everyone in the family and see all over the house. But it's like, he, he comes in, uh, he knocks on the door and Wednesday answers and she says, here, I'll take you to my mother. She's in the conservatory. And then he speaks to the mother and says, you know, they have to go to school. It's the law. And she goes, oh, the law is my husband's department. You must go speak to him. Lurch, show him to Mr. Adams. Right? And then he meets Lurch, goes to Mr. Adams, who is playing with model trains, which he blows mm -hmm. up. I feel like that was possibly new, but also they had to blow up some model trains. Yep, yep. Uh, then he's like, oh, the schooling. That's my, my, my you know, mother's department or mother-in-law. Cannot remember what she said. And then they have to go visit her and she's... Playing like darts in with... the guest room, yeah. which looks like a dungeon. Like, the door looks like a dungeon cell. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that was very interesting. Do you remember whether the grandmother remained looking like that the whole show? She looked kind of unformed. Like, I hadn't figured out what to do with her quite yet. Oh, I thought it was a very strong character design. Really? Like, they're, they're, they're going very much for, like, classic cauldron-stirring witch. Her, her wig was very mm. bad. <laughs> well... Uh, don't like the wig, don't like the theme song. I see how it is, Sarah. <laughs> uh, before we move on to our next segment, just because we're talking a lot about the objects in the house, do you have a favorite object that you saw in this? Oh, pile? I don't know. You must have one since you brought it up. Yeah, I have. I absolutely yeah. do. There's a there's a famous uh, Roman statue of Romulus and Remus being nursed by the she wolf. What? The, the twins who founded Rome. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. I'm, statue, I was familiar right? with the statue. I was just yeah. like, I didn't see that, but so there's a lot to see. They they had a statue that is like the statue of the she-wolf, like very specifically like that statue, but there's no Romulus and Remus under it. It's just a like uh, a, a she-wolf with like all of her nipples visible, like in a little zigzaggy line underneath her, just like there on a plinth in the middle of the living room. 
and uh, I did not. I, yeah. I didn't parse what that was. Yeah, that's it's so funny though because there, with, there's no context. It's just like, oh, wolf with a bunch of uh, just nipples. Well, wolf with uh, with her titties out. Yep. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Free the hashtag free the nipple. The show yeah. is ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, I did not notice that at all. That's amazing. I think. Honestly, my favorite, just for, for out of sheer cussedness, might be the uh, the bear rug that growls if you step on it. Which, despite the fact that it does not like to be stepped on, and you know uh, everybody kind of steps around it for the most part, it is all, spread all over the steps from the front hall mm-hmm. into the living room. It's like surely that's a bad spot. It's just an inconvenient spot. Hang him on a wall, or like put him somewhere where you can like watch what's going on if he's like sentient. Yeah. Don't put him in the... It just seems inconvenient. <laughs> I love the repeated uh, Lurch just doesn't care. Oh, yeah. He kind of walks along the edge, so only half of his steps hit it. But he's like, look, there's just only so much I can do. Yeah. I can walk stilted or I can tiptoe around this this thing. I can't do both. Or they might have done and had him do it on purpose because they wanted the, the thing to growl again, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's move on, shall we? Let's shall. Cliffs and Chips! So this segment is where we usually talk about kind of general predictions for the future of the show, when it's a show we have not seen any of. Uh, But we also talk about uh, any uh, ideas for, like, season one cliffhangers, which I don't think will really be uh, particularly an issue with this show, or uh, ships, relationships that we would like to see flourish or become a thing on the show. Now, obviously, we know a little bit about where this show is going. Uh, yeah, it's going exactly where it already is. Yeah. <laughs> Four years. Four years. It is treading the same. I mean, I guess I should say, having not remember, I don't remember really watching it. I don't remember anything changing. This is about what I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they don't add any new characters. Well, oh. there is there is one particular character who did not appear in this episode that oh, really? I, of course cousin it oh yes cousin it did not make an appearance i have no idea how much cousin it was in the original show i definitely remember cousin it yeah. from episodes uh and obviously cousin it much bigger thing in the movie mm-hmm. uh because cousin it gets to date uh joan cusack so no doesn't um, I can't remember the actress's name. It's not Joan Cusack? No. No, Joan Cusack uh, is the lady who marries Fester in the second movie. Oh, you're right. Who's... I'm blanking on the actress's name, but she's delightful. She's, she's the wife of Dan Hedaya's character at the beginning of the film, and then she, like... I think by the end of the movie, she's kind of giving Cousin it her number or whatever. Dana Ivey. She's a great actress. Great character actress. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm... Totally, totally different person. Yeah. Joan Cusack is there. I, I, I just get confused because I want to date Joan Cusack. I think yeah, that's no, I think that's the issue that's we're having totally here. reasonable. <laughs> and she has a romantic interest when she's introduced. Yes. But no cousin it in this first Adam's yeah. Family episode. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, no other, like, do they ever, like, um, a, a neighbor, like a normal neighbor? Are there any normies that become a regular character? Not that I remember, hmm. but it would be hard to remember normies with this show. Although I will say that the uh, school superintendent guy, the guy from the school who's trying to yes. get the kids to go to school, 
that actor is swinging for the fences. Oh, this. yeah. He is wow. going he for he it. He did not hold back. He is all over the place. When he first walks in through the gate and he kind of like stumbles over some of the random like bits of shrubbery that are like lying in the path, he just does like his whole body. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Really put your shoulders into it. <laughs> like just the way he's walking like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Things are already weird. It's like his whole body is in it. Yeah. I mean, with this, in terms of ships, like, relationships, obviously we want to just watch Gomez and Morticia be all over each other yes. forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, that's about it. I, I think... Yeah, that... there's not anywhere else to go. They're a family. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of cliffs, I think, uh, you know, cliffhangers, obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? And then there's, like, the, I'm a new mailman. Uh and it's like the Ghostbusters. I don't know. There's just like, no, like... <laughs> I was like, really, really waiting to see where you were going with that. Felt like you were going somewhere. And, and, <laughs> but that's the thing is, I don't... So many other shows, you know, you, you want it to develop, you want it to grow, whatever. And it's just like, I just want these weirdos to keep rubbing up against normal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in small, you know, it's something I always come back to on Pilot House that I love small stories. I like small intimate things where the stakes are just very personal mm-hmm. and that's what this show is it's like will this family be able to attend the bake sale you know will, <laughs> will how will tish's cupcakes be received you know like that that's the whole arc of an episode yeah. him calling her tish that was another thing that i like he does it a couple times and yeah. i'm like oh i didn't know that was right there in the first episode yep so cute uh let's move on to the next segment yeah what will this show be? So this is the segment where we talk about what we think the day-to-day of the show is going to be. I mean, here I almost think we've already said it multiple times. This show is what it is and it continues to be more of what it is. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing else to say. So, shall we move on? To our next segment, which we like to call... This is the segment where we address whether there are any recognizable actors in the show, anybody that we were like, oh my gosh, it's that guy. Uh, I mean, I think with this, it was just that we, you know, we were familiar with most of the actors. I mean, John Astin is uh, an iconic character actor and much better cast in this role than as the Riddler, as I have established and apparently need to keep saying. Yeah, other than that, I didn't recognize... Other than him from Batman and yeah. all of them as iconic to these roles, I didn't really recognize anyone. The uh, vice principal at the school had a certain like vibe of like, this is the lady you oh, bring in yeah. to do this in the yes. 60s, but I I don't know her name. and Me either, but I did feel like either this lady is the most iconic example of this type of character, or she's just a perfect example of this kind of... Moment. actor or i've seen her in something else and i her voice was familiar i actually did think about looking her up but i forgot all right i just had to pause so i could look up this actress because i i would be genuinely shocked if i didn't actually know her from anything oh oh strangely her name is madge blake okay per- that, that's the name first of, of the all person playing that role first of all perfect second of all she was absolutely familiar to both of us because she's Aunt Harriet on Batman. <laughs> like, of course she is. I yeah. can't believe I didn't recognize her right away. 
This, Aunt this... frickin' Harriet. Classic. Dick. Call Aunt Harriet. <laughs> I mean, wow. She was on a lot of other shows. Uh, she was, uh, and, and films as well. She was on Leave it to Beaver, apparently. Um, so very much like an actress in this era, kind of filling that niche. Yeah. We need a Madge type. We'll get Madge. Point. Well, the way you're just falling in love with Madge, it makes me think we should move on to our penultimate segment. Which we like to call... I choose you! I mean, come on, we had to go to this segment now, yeah. because clearly you're already choosing Madge, but... <laughs> I mean, Miss Comstock, the assistant principal of the school, was pretty delightful. And not only because Madge Blake is delightful, yeah. but because, you know, Mr. Hilliard, is the, the guy who comes to the house... It takes very little of the Adams family's weirdness for him to be like, "Oh my God, I'm losing my grip on reality." Yeah. They go to Miss Comstock, and uh, when they say like, "Oh yes, that Mr. Hilliard was a very strange man," Gomez starts suggesting ways of dealing with him, quote yeah. unquote, like, "Oh yeah, I know a guy in Haiti," and she just rolls with the what she thinks is a joke, but still, right. she goes, "Oh, how about a little dip in some boiling oil?" Yeah. She's having a great time, being like, "Oh, what are some other insane things we could do to this guy?" How about a nice old-fashioned horse whipping? Good, good. Or let a boa constrictor give him a good squeeze. A little dip in boiling oil. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Comstock, you're my kind of people. And that is a delightful thing about the the Adams family in general is those moments where they act as a catalyst to let other people's weirdness out. Yeah, yeah. Like that is a that is a thing that happens from time to time with them, and I I, I really enjoy that aspect. Uh, in terms of what we see in this first episode, Lurch was the shining surprise for me. The amount of physical comedy that that actor is given and the the just like way he goes about it. It's so deadpan and yet he's doing things that are ridiculous. You know, playing the harpsichord and then they're like tapping the side of his Yes! Head. Oh, and that whole sequence. changes the, the music like they're flipping channels on the radio. Right, just... yeah. And his physicality changes depending on what style of yeah. music he's playing too. It, it, he really gets into it. That and, was pretty great. Yeah, watching him do all this different physicality and like when he carries the superintendent into the house and everything like <laughs> it's just it was really really fun and again my memory of him is just that he's sort of a, a lurking presence you know yeah. like, you rang and then those of it but like he's running all over the place in a this it was lurching presence even yeah <laughs> had to do it to you uh but yeah he's delightful yeah I think, uh, yeah, I'm, as far as my favorite character of the ongoing uh, characters, I think just right now it's Gomez. Mm -hmm. Jonathan's having so much fun. But uh, I think he, he seems to be the one who is just like barreling at it the most. Mm -hmm. Like he is just going at it guns a-blazing. Uh, I guess uh, uh, the actor who plays Uncle Fester, Jackie Coogan, is also going at it guns a-blazing. I'm just I'm less in love with his choices. Yeah. And I, I, that is, I think, partially why I just don't remember him as being, like, as central yeah. as Gomez and Morticia and the kids, obviously. Yeah. He just comes in and goes, why would someone leave a perfectly good foot in the road? <laughs> Apparently I'm Daffy Duck now. Oh, well, shall we move on to our final segment where we give our final verdict? 
did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more? I hate to say it. No, for me, genuinely. But if if I answer the sort of sub-question that we're asking there of, did this show know what it was about and set everything out to hook people? I think it did a good job being the first episode of this show. I just felt like that was fun, but I don't necessarily like feel like, oh my God, let's watch the next one. And that's that's exactly where I'm at as well. Really? I, I think because of how complete an Adam's family experience this was, I'm not like, I mean, I didn't yeah. get my, I didn't get cousin it, yeah. but it was Adam's family. Like if I watched another episode of this, it would be more Adam's family, more Adam's family. Definitely a show designed for the time where at, at a certain time of the week, at a certain mm-hmm. time of evening, you'd sit down and, and if you like this kind of thing, you'd watch that show that not designed to hook you for another episode right away. Diff- very different time period. This is, this is absolutely in that class of shows that we occasionally encounter where I think I would really get a lot out of looking up some sort of internet list of top 10 episodes or, or like yes. wildest Adam's Family episodes or something. You know, like there, yeah. there might be best one where... Best cameos, not cameo, but best guest star appearances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, you know, there's one where like someone really famous shows up as like a long lost cousin and has yes. a madcap episode. Yeah. Uh, or one where they really pushed the boat out, or you could even argue Jump the Shark, where, like, remember the one where they went to Hawaii? That was a weird choice. Like, I would yeah. watch one of those. And and that's the thing, is it, in terms of ongoing, it's not like I'm desperate to see more of this or even to, like, encounter all of this. It's just the kind of thing where it just kind of... Th- this, this package gave me what I wanted and was hoping for out of watching this show. It... it I know it sounds like I'm damning with faint praise, but often with these watching first episodes of things, it's either so different than you remembered or it's promising something that you weren't expecting or it's teasing something that you would like to get that you don't get from this first episode. And this is almost the opposite of our current era of peak television where everything's about, we'll keep watching and eventually this will pay off. It's like, it all pays off right here. I don't need anything else. You're not left wanting more with this. Uh, It's just like... Here's what we're going to be like. Is this the sort of thing you would want to watch of an evening? Well, then we'll be on, you know, Thursdays at 8 or whatever. And that's enough. Yeah. This is an example, I think, of a show where the question we came up with as a judge of whether it has succeeded as a pilot of does it make you want to watch more uh, kind of belies the era that we grew up in. And it was not quite this. Like, certainly... In the era we grew up watching there, we, we grew up watching shows like this, but also the modern shows we grew up with certainly were also not, you know, bingeable, right? But I think that's the, that's where our minds are now at any rate. Well, I, I can see what you're saying there, but I, I think for me, because of how completely this package indicates to me what the rest of it is, yeah, I realize that I don't need more of it. Whereas watching something something else, like when we watched uh, Batman, I do want more of that. Yes. I want more of that that's true. package. That's... Even though that didn't tease a new villain coming next week. No, no, that's a good point. I, no, want... I, I felt the same way. I was like, please, can we watch? I just want to watch the entire series now. Yeah. I just want this to keep happening to me. Where I think that that's partially because I have more nostalgia for that show. But I think that if... 
if this show had been new mm-hmm. to me and I'd never seen anything like this, I would have more of a feeling of, oh my gosh, I want to watch more because I, I got to see what they're going to get up to next. Like, what yeah. else are they going to do? They've already done so many things I've never seen on TV, right? Like, that would make you have that kind of like, I, I got to see what else they're going to do next. But I kind of know what they're going to do next. They're going to keep doing the thing they're doing and they're going to do it great. But and that's the thing is we've already been exposed to not only bits and pieces of this over the years, but also the films from the 90s and the almost 60 years worth of things influenced by this. Yes. This is this feels a lot like watching sort of a very early version of other things that came later, you know, everything from the Dark Shadows franchise to, you know, even even bits and pieces of things like Over the Garden Wall, where you have that kind of combination of like things that should be creepy and off-putting, but they're kind of sweet and gentle at the same time. Like, yeah. No, I think it, this is a problem you run into anytime you go back to like the very first of something that became very influential. It's interesting to watch it from the perspective of knowing what it is, but, or to read it, whatever it ends up being, but it, it can be hard to get, become truly engaged Mm -hmm. with it. And I, I think that's almost the interesting thing about how the biggest surprise that we experienced with watching this was how exactly itself it already was Mm -hmm. right at the beginning. Yeah. They weren't still kind of figuring out, I mean, maybe if you just watch the whole thing, you'd see there were aspects that they were still kind of figuring out. But just from the perspective of someone who doesn't know it that well, feels like they really knew what they were about right from the beginning. All the elements are there. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up. It's It knew what it was about, and it is a perfect encapsulation of an Adams Family episode, just all right there from the beginning. And, you know, well done. Well done. And on that note, bye. bye. <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't my best effort. Uh, nailed it. Thanks for listening to Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website, pilothousepodcast.com, or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future topics. Please share this episode with a friend or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Our podcast is entirely listener supported. So thanks to our special guest stars, Cynthia, Tina, Juniper, and Jerry. Visit patreon.com slash pilot house to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. We're gonna pay a call on the Adams Family.